John. Mm-hmm. Hypothetical question for you. Oh, I love these. <laughs> this is my favorite way to start. Let's it's go. It's a Saturday night. You're with uh-huh. your beloved, and mm-hmm. you have no plans. You have absolutely nothing to do. What do you do? Oh, <laughs> let's get a peek into John here. HGTV marathon. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, HGTV marathon. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite HGTV program? Um, probably Property Brothers. That seems why, like why why them though? Uh, quote unquote most realistic. Like they actually have a budget that they have to work with. Okay. And, you know, oh, you're talking make... about okay. You're talking about the conceit of the show. I'm, I'm yes. thinking uh, in terms of the the artificiality of uh, the chemistry. Well, I mean, yeah, all these shows are completely artificial. Like, oh, we're going to do your renovation in 30 days. Or like, are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> no, I meant like you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines on Fixer Upper. Like, yeah, you believe that they're a real couple, sort of. With, the, with no. the Property Brothers, it feels like an act. You know, not yeah. like you and me. I mean, No, of course not. We have a very natural rapport. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, our, our, our good-natured fond ribbing, you know, really cuts at our, each other's cores. <laughs> Whereas, you can tell, you know... I can't uh, do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you can tell that... What uh, you said three episodes ago really hurt me. <laughs> yeah. You can tell that uh, Drew and Jonathan Scott don't have a bad bone in their body, so they can't, you know... No, because they're Canadian. Yeah, that's true. That's why. Their bodies are just, you know, they're just perfectly sculpted Scots. <laughs> Scots is in from Scotland. That's where their last name comes from. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. They wore kilts to their wedding, which I saw in People magazine. And, oh, it was delightful. Mm-hmm. John, did you know Canada has a different alphabet than us? What? Yeah. Go, continue, please. <laughs> well, I mean, the first 25 letters are completely the same as ours, John. Mm-hmm. But there's one key difference, and it's the last letter of the alphabet. Do you want to know what do that letter t- is? Do tell. It's Z. Or, <gasps> as we know in American, <laughs> as we know in American, our American language here, it's the letter Z, which is, in fact, the movie that we're talking about this week. du mildiou en pulvérisant sur les vignes une solution de sulfate de cuivre. Deux types de préparation classiques en quelque sorte. La bouille bordelaise et la bouille bourguignonne. Bourguignonne, venant de Bourgogne, province française réputée pour ses vins. On procède chaque année à trois pulvérisations. Greg, that transition was so good. I have a nosebleed right now. I'm just like, I just, my mind I don't think, I, I don't think that's a good sign. <laughs> I think we should be. Uh, I think we should be sending text alerts to the whole. <laughs> I just, this is I not just a had drill. The worst transition in history turned into an EMP attack, <laughs> and suddenly the whole West Coast will go dark. This is not a drill, guys. This yeah. is not a drill. Yeah, topical. That was a that was a level nine transition right there. Okay, masterclass. For those that don't know anything, Z is a 19, uh, a French movie filmed in Algeria about the nation of Greece. <laughs> <laughs> that attracted a lot of attention back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, our viewing of it is very serendipitous. You wanted to watch this movie, uh, knowing very little that actually this is one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, usually we have to cajole, like, you know, convince one another, like, which movie we're going to watch. This time, you know, we both came together in agreement. So this is one of my all-time uh, favorite movies because uh, stylistically, you are not going to be bored. There's a lot no. of quick cuts. It has a lot of style to it between dollies in and handhelds and the cameras all swooping, moving around. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's, it's a movie of our time stylistically. Now, mm-hmm. little did I know, watching it now, it's also a movie <laughs> of our time content-wise because it focuses on the true story of the assassination of a left-wing democratic leader in Greece. Excuse uh, me, that's according to the opposition, okay? <laughs> it was clearly just an accident. They were drunk, okay? Yeah. There was no coordination. There was no collusion, okay? Yeah, there's there was no, no collusion. No collusion, exactly. Everyone's told me there's no collusion. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and you're hearing this from everybody. I know. Okay, there's all the no Democrats deep, agree. There's no deep state, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The assassination of a uh, left-wing Greek uh, leader by the ruling military dictatorship. Mm-hmm. 
And so even though the film winks at you, it's not really about Greece. It's not using any anybody's names. It doesn't point out any locations. However, there's a there's a big title card at the very beginning. Like any uh, resemblances to real life is entirely intentional. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so anybody, any audiences in 1969 would have known that, yes, this is about the murder of a left-wing politician in Greece. Well, I mean, that's kind of one of the things that bothers me a little bit about the conceit. Why? Is the fact that, like, if you're going to make a movie and you're going to dramatize it, like, I guess it's an important story to tell, but it's like, maybe, like, not just do it kind of so straightforward not that the you know obviously this movie has a lot of those 60s flourishes that's what i do appreciate about this movie a lot Mm -hmm. is the fact that it's very much indicative of its time there's a lot of kind of like psychedelic scenes and very dreamlike qualities and that camera is always moving yeah very french new wave yeah yeah very it it reminded me a lot of ironically uh night of the living dead (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah which is verite yeah (laughs) yeah verite and then also, you can tell also they're using that to kind of cover up a low budget, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't get a sense of that, but... Okay, okay. yeah. But I, that's another uh, another point in the movie's favor. It's very earnest, and it's coming from, you know, a place of genuine heart. This is a story they really wanted to tell. But personally, for me, I wish they just did it a little less straightforward. Maybe added a little more kind of like satirical elements to it, because the movie at times, for all its technical flourishes, is pretty dry. Well, yeah, I, I can see your criticism. I think what you're saying is that the movie's allegorical, so none of the characters really have names. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have really a sense of time or place. And so, like, there's nothing really emotional. Well, we'll get to what you emotionally connect to later. But, mm-hmm. there, it's, like, at the very beginning, you're, you're pretty much lost. It's a big, you know, meeting of the, of the higher generals in this country, whatever, this mm-hmm. unnamed country. Yeah, and and the camera's like cutting every half second, and you're and you're pretty much like you're you can kind of get swept up in the tone of it, but you're not mm-hmm. really connecting to it on emotional on an emotional level yet. Well, and no, I think that's and that's what you mean by yeah. I think that's what you mean by kind of. It, it well, no, you nailed it. Forward. You nailed it right on the head, which is it's meant to be allegorical, so it's meant to be kind of take place at any time in any era, but also it's again dramatizing a very specific event that happened in Greece. So it kind of like splits the difference for me, and I think that's what kind of like bothers me about it i wish it either went with kind of like trying to make the like fudge the events a little bit to make them less specific to what happened in greece and maybe like played up the satirical elements maybe kind of created more amalgam characters a bit which i guess it kind of does with the reporter i think there wasn't any specific specific reporter who was like investigating and also taking pictures of everybody yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, i don't know john i found i found a lot of connections to uh, other similar events <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I didn't see I didn't see it as tied specifically to what happened in the early 1960s Greece. Well, I mean, it, but it's also a very 60s movie in terms of the politics. You know, you have these quote-unquote <laughs> communist hippies with their long hair and their Karl Marx books, you know, fighting up against, you know, truth to power. No police state, no police state, you know. Mm-hmm. At where's, one point, like the other side the, saying, "Go away, you pansies!" <laughs> exactly. At one point, you have the, you know the police dragging some hippie away just so they can cut his hair, like publicly, like <laughs> lift him up, and then you know they snip his hair away, like ha ha, <laughs> like Samson. Are are you saying that's not happening? You know, in I don't know Saudi Arabia. I <laughs> just pick a country at random where I'm assuming long hair isn't permitted. <laughs> that's quite a possibility. You're absolutely right. <laughs> No, and you're right, this movie does, again, like, looking at the politics of it, very timeless quality, you know, if you have very little faith in the government, then absolutely, this is the movie for you. Yeah, well, that's what I I wanted to bring up first, is the politics, because I I very intentionally use those terms, like, left-wing, liberal Mm -hmm. politician um, gets murdered by a a right-wing military dictatorship. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, is there any, like, again, because the movie's trying to be as, as paint with as broad a brush as possible to see, like, okay, this happened in Greece, but it can also happen any time, really. That is true. And I like, was wondering... This is kind of a story that's destined to happen again. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, it, could there be any... Um, any MAGA people like Deplorable Jan <laughs> watching this movie today. I don't, I don't know why Deplorable Jan would be watching it and just being like, oh yeah, that's like the deep state trying to take down my, my beloved daddy, Donald. <laughs> I guess that's true. Like, again, well, no, because the politics about it are way too specific. Like, they, Okay, so you thought, on your first viewing, you thought it was very specific about this fight mm-hmm. of um, conservatism versus, versus liberal. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And 
also i love the fact that in that early scene which is one of my favorites is that early scene like mm -hmm. it's it's implied that they you know the, this is the way the government justifies it to themselves is like gentlemen this is a democracy okay this is a strong christian nation we need to keep the mildew intellectually from growing <laughs> by the way another flaw another minor setback for this movie there's no good metaphor that they came up with that they don't underline three times <laughs> No, uh, yeah, you brought up uh, in this opening scene a, a dict of a general's giving a speech, mm -hmm. and he keeps going on and on about this analogy analogy with mildew. <laughs> like, okay, well, we I have like to attack it three different ways. Okay, there's this form of fungus. That's like uh, that's like the uh, the student protests, and then there's this. Form <laughs> no, of I like it because the the speaker before him was this very dry agricultural secretary going on about fighting yeah. the mildew, and it's like you can tell the other people are yawning. It's intentionally very boring. Yeah. And then this other guy kind of comes up, and he has to follow this act. So obviously he kind of rabble-rouses everyone into it. It's like, and now, you know, we just heard this whole story about mildew. Let me talk to you about ideological mildew, okay? These isms, okay? Communism, socialism, liberalism. <laughs> I th I th yeah, yeah I thought it was fun. I thought it was a lot of fun, yeah. that opening scene. Tout comme le mildew. Cette maladie idéologique doit être combattue préventivement. Tout comme le mildew, elle est due à l'action de germes morbides et de divers agents parasites. Ainsi, la pulvérisation des hommes, par les bouillies appropriées, est indispensable. Les écoles, dans ce cas, constituent le premier stade. C'est là, si vous m'autorisez cette métaphore, que les jeunes pousses n'ont pas encore atteint une longueur de 12 à 15 cm. La deuxième pulvérisation intervient peu avant ou peu après la floraison. Il s'agit évidemment des universités, des jeunes ouvriers, Et l'époque du service militaire est le meilleur moment pour l'appliquer et sauver l'arbre sacré de la liberté nationale de l'infection du milieu idéologique. And again, you know, that uh, the, the uh, 60s flourish, that opening title card with all the medals, the zoom in of all the medals, because that becomes yeah. very important uh, in the kind of final act, mm -hmm. you know, the number of medals these people are wearing. Yeah. And actually on rewatching, I'm, I'm, something I also noticed about this scene and the boredom of these people Mm -hmm. It reminded them that these characters, even though we don't really know them yet, mm -hmm. um, is that they're very human. <laughs> they're <laughs> that is very they're true, as yeah. bored in this situation as you know anybody would be, and it's a reminder of kind of this uh, this banality of evil. Like we like to think, like in terms of these, in terms of like conspiracies, like oh my gosh, there's a brilliant Machiavellian genius behind it. <laughs> No, and that's well, the no, thing. It's, it's really like, just like regular people who either just let things happen or do things out of, let's say, desperation or self-preservation and not really, you know, malevolence or out of this, like, you know, higher plane of intelligence. Like, no, they're just <laughs> regular people. And again, yeah. you could be on either side of it. Like, they're just regular people on either side. So, you know, be careful. <laughs> no, yeah. And the government initially does not seem that evil. Yes, they want to hold power. Yes, they want to keep maintain order and, you know, not let the country fall into chaos. And that's how they justify it to themselves. And honestly, the kind of assassination plot doesn't seem like kind of a wider plot from the government. It seems like kind of a more of a small subset. Like yeah. it came from kind of like one guy and he kind of got this smaller group uh, called Croc. Again, kind of talking about more satirical. Yeah, Christian elements. I wish Republic that, of something or other, yeah. Yeah, I wish they kind of used more of those kind of satirical elements like that, those little touches, and then it would feel more like a satire instead <laughs> yeah. of like... So it's kind of implied that maybe he was the mastermind of it, but again, he's still kind of just a lower-tiered general in the whole swath of the government. But then by the end of it, you know, things kind of go sour real quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought that up because what, what the really... the focus of the first act is on this liberal politician mm -hmm. and then he gets assassinated and then the following and then the following half is about this prosecutor who's based on a guy named Christos uh I'm going to butcher his name started started uh kiss <laughs> first try <laughs> let's just call him Joe hey Joe Joe where's the pizza but uh, the latter half of the movie focuses on his prosecution, and it still and it kind of plays out like a murder mystery, even though we know who and exactly, what was murdered yeah. and why. But it's still kind of compelling in spite of that because we realize like how big this uh, this mystery gets. Yeah, that's kind of the or that's the other kind gets, of yeah. weird balancing act that this movie has to attain because it has a very wide breadth, a wide view of what's going on. We get the whole picture, mm -hmm. but then we try to narrow into this focus on what this reporter is doing, what this magistrate is doing, trying to, you know, figure out what really happened. And it's like the audience is already privy to that. 
Yeah. Like, would it have been more interesting if we got, like, kind of a Rashomon-style narrative where it's, like, we get Croc's perspective, but then we get the Resistance perspective, and then we get, like, maybe just a kind of in-between ground? But again, like, this movie <laughs> where uh, this no, movie's coming from... Yeah, that's clearly not their intention, is to, to tell a nuanced narrative. <laughs> no, absolutely not. The government is the bad guys in this movie, yeah. quite frankly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, like it could have used a little more focus maybe on the magistrate or the reporter. Like Maybe if they were genuinely the main character of the movie, maybe that would have helped a little bit. Because again, they don't come in until the second act. Yeah, so the first act focuses on well, first it's the these group of uh, liberal resistance, you know, politicians, pretty much mm-hmm. supporting um, the big deputy, the big guy, the big hopeful politician that these people have. He's played by Yves Montand, who's um, who's pretty much the French Frank Sinatra. He was a crooner and an actor, and mm-hmm. so like you can the, the reason they cast this like worldwide superstar or whatever as this charismatic politician <laughs> is because like oh immediately you have to like him, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I mean, you don't know, you don't really learn anything about these characters. Whereas, you know, when you movie kind of transitions to the reporter slash photographer, and then the magistrate, the prosecutor, who's looking into this uh, this crime, then the the focus becomes much clearer, like what their intentions are. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the the big things upon my reviewing that I didn't like about that movie is the first act. Like, we only get one speech from this politician, and it's very general mm-hmm. about, like, hey, our schools and hospitals are bad. I'm going to improve them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there's nothing, it's, there's nothing you really see of how kind of poor or destitute the country is under this military dictatorship. If, as far as I can tell, like, everything looks fine. <laughs> no, yeah, this movie's very unfocused. And I don't know if you really get the sense that this guy is really a revolutionary who's inspiring the people. Like, I, I, you see the whole rabble around him and kind of mm-hmm. the big... Uh, protests that he's garnered but other than that you don't really get a sense that he's like this kind of transformative figure that's really going to like upend this whole country this whole system well i feel like you do get that sense i mean in that in that the probably the most effective scene is that uh rally that turns into an assassination um Mm -hmm. they have to walk across the street and there's a lot of tension there because the police aren't really doing anything to protect this guy exactly or they're obviously in the pocket of the uh, counter-protests. Yeah. They're clearly, you know, willing to defend the people who are going to beat them, but, you know, <laughs> if the liberals, you know, try to do anything, the cops aren't going to do anything. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. we're t- we're cross-cutting with our would-be assassins, mm-hmm. um, one of whom is a dead ringer for uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea. <laughs> oh, God, he's such a sleazeball. <laughs> yeah. He reminded me of Flea, and he, and he also looks like Putin a little bit. I mean, it's like he already looks gross with his like shirt that's buttoned only like the, yeah, three buttons suit. and the comb over. But then they're like, also, let's make him a gay pedophile in I case, know. you know, it wasn't obvious enough you were supposed to hate this guy. <laughs> now, that, that that's probably the only the, the gay pedophilia thing. It's probably the only subtle thing about this character. Like, you really hate this guy. <laughs> Also, like uh, our introduction to him, he's uh, students are like putting up flyers for this big rally, and he kind of orchestrates a little uh, opposition here, and he's just like, oh, standing beside, you know, whatever, and then kicks, you know, kicks people <laughs> behind their backs without them looking. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, the it's it's not a, it's not a fair portrait of the opposition, is it? No, and uh, the the two assa- the two would be assassins that we're describing, their names are Yago and Vago. Yeah, which again, it's pretty silly. Again, I wish the movie leaned into that silliness a little bit more. I, I thought it was just enough, John. This is this is serious business here. <laughs> we have a. I'm I'm glad. I'm actually glad that there are enough like little light satirical touches as there are because we're talking about uh, um, the murder of political opposition orchestrated by the government itself. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yes, that's true. But this is a movie. Let's have some fun, guys. Come on, and <laughs> eh, jokes. I want well, this movie, Greg. I want this movie to be the light on its feet, okay? I want it to be lithe and ferocious as a tiger. <laughs> yeah, we should probably explain that that comes in later. Both Yago, Vago, and in general use all the same language. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as if there wasn't enough evidence of a conspiracy. They all have the same line-for-line reading of the story, yeah. including the metaphor of lith and ferocious as a tiger. As a tiger, yeah. <laughs> Even though Yago and Vago are two, you know... <laughs> Don't seem like the best educated people in the world to be using that kind of simile. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Although that what they're describing is my favorite sequence of the movie, in that after a, a three-wheeler comes by, the guy strikes uh, this politician in the head, mm-hmm. and then one of these supporters like gives chase. And then mm-hmm. we drop all the, the, the 
in the in-camera diegetic sound for, and it's mostly like gripping sequence. Like not only is this movie funny and dramatically compelling, it's also a great like action sequence too. <laughs> and it just so gives a credit to just what an incredible talent Costas Grievous is as a, as a director. Mm-hmm. I got you! I mean, what other movies has he directed that you've seen? Like, because I'm looking at his uh, CV and I don't recognize any of these. <laughs> Granted, I'm a Philistine on yeah, the ways of French cinema, but the only other movie I've seen of his is uh, Missing, which mm-hmm. is also like uh, kind of tells the story of a of a reporter's uh, kidnapping. Okay. And so, yeah, it's also about a government kind of orchestrating. I mean, that was that was really his his wheelhouse mm-hmm. was trying to expose or really trying to expose. Um, big government corruption against uh, opposite opposing forces. Mm, okay. Uh, particularly sorry, left-wing forces. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't hide his politics really. He's a flower child through and through. Yeah. Let's uh, I just wish this movie had more of a main character. Like I mean, the closest that kind of gets to it is the prosecutor, the person who's investigating all this. And one of the nice little touches I like in his costume is the fact that he wears tinted glasses. Yeah. It kind of implies that maybe he has an eye problem, like Justice is blind. Because again, he is really genuinely, he's not in the pocket of anybody. He really is mm-hmm. just trying to get to the bottom of this. And there is also this kind of weirdly intense scene towards the end where kind of like there's other magistrate who looks like almost an older version of him tells him to drop it. Basically yeah, that's the district him. attorney, yeah. Or mm-hmm. the attorney general, sorry. Yeah. And I kind of like the way that they mirror each other, like the. Uh, Attorney General looks like an older version of him. He's wearing the same kind of tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. And it kind of implies that, like, this is the same path you could go down. <laughs> well, also, what's what's th- interesting about that is that even though this magistrate becomes our protagonist eventually, mm-hmm. um, there's literally, like, nothing to his performance. He doesn't have a name. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing really histrionic about it until he he really does, like, uncover this uh, this murderous plot. Um, mm-hmm. But from there, he's just, like, kind of a straightforward, very decent guy you know just trying to get to the bottom of this being like in instances like he's very very objective like he's saying like this is it this is it we're calling this an incident it's not a murder yet exactly <laughs> yeah but that scene you mentioned where the just the attorney general comes in like immediately tells him like what the hell are you doing <laughs> and so we have this uh this lower level prosecutor or whatever being on the straight and narrow and this district attorney like starting to yell and <laughs> exactly again putting on a big show so there's there's a great contrast there too i mm-hmm. i get but i I didn't see, yeah, I didn't see like how they're kind of reflective of each other in their costume. And <laughs> well, no, I just think that like again, this is a this was my favorite moment of the movie because again, the character is presented with a choice. He yeah, can either drop it, let this go, and let the status quo be preserved, or he can you know tell the truth. Tell the truth. <laughs> Great concussion callback there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Who remembers that movie? <laughs> oh, it lives in my heart every day. <laughs> Yeah, but again, we don't really see like a personal toll on him. Like he does make a decision there, mm-hmm. um, but the only personal we toll we see is on the politician's wife. Yeah, which felt kind of like I'm glad it's there, but it also felt kind of like tacked on. Really? Yeah, because again, we only get really get two scenes with it, and it also seems very out of. I know, but they're impactful scenes, bro. Come no, on. they're and they're very impactful because, but it's because this is really the only emotional resonance you get throughout the whole movie. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel the other characters, you know, being, you know, I, I can feel it on their, in their faces and in their hearts, you know, that this is, you know, they're saddened by this tragedy. Um, however, I think the editing, the editing is a great tribute to this because 
and not only the editing but also the sound because things really tone down like she she comes into this uh this unnamed country mm-hmm. she flies in you know very you know the, the the whole movie has been like quick cuts and loud music or whatever and now it's very you know staid kind of direction very fewer cuts as she silently walks into the hospital and you know gets mm-hmm. quietly and respectfully explained to her that her father's or sorry her husband <laughs> isn't her father <laughs> Her husband uh, is getting surgery. He's brain dead, but his heart is still beating. You know, he's got a big heart. You know, <laughs> <laughs> again, yeah, underline it three times. It's like yeah. his brain may be dead, but his heart is very strong. Yeah. His heart is so strong, <laughs> it beats for this country. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like it, for me, it really does register that emotional connection. Her name's Helen too. She gets a name. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Helena, I believe it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we do get one more kind of scene with her is once the kind of prosecution presents this case and you know it's it's made wide that you know yes this was really an assassination attempt and we're going to bring people to justice we see one of the liberal party members kind of come to her and comfort her and says like justice will be done it's one glimmer of hope before everything completely goes to shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's um let's talk about this uh, left turn we have here or should i say say right turn (laughs) because yeah, you you reference that that huge decision that this prosecutor has to make: either drop it or pursue charges against these high level generals. Mm-hmm. And he decides. And I do I do love the scene where the uh, generals are basically getting brought in one by one. Yeah, you well, know, it, it's the it same scene brilliantly because we we see this kind of hapless. Uh, I think he's a head of security or something like that. He's a, he's a he's a goofy guy with a mustache. Or mm-hmm. and it starts with like, oh, this is just routine questioning. Like, nope, we're charging you for murder. Boom. Yep. <laughs> Next guy comes in. He has a few. The there's a close up of their lapel. You know, they have a few more medals. <laughs> charging you with murder. Boom. Nothing. Next guy comes in. <laughs> and it's shot. It's the it's the same sequence over and over again. Yeah. Same camera angles, same pr- uh, pace, everything. But we see it escalate. At first, there's only two reporters. And then when yeah. the next higher level general's coming up, there's four reporters. Next general coming up, eight reporters. And each one is getting prosecuted for murder and conspiracy. Yeah, and and, and it's rousing to... A, there's also a, a, a few good laughs, too. They say, like, go through the back if you want to avoid uh, press. Mm-hmm. And, and each every time they, time they, they try... The long door. <laughs> and each time they go back there, there's more and more reporters coming in. Exactly. <laughs> very funny so yeah so they can't it seems like john they can't avoid justice it's browsing john we're, we're coming to a to a thrilling climax where justice is served right yep we get to the closing credits and we get those final title cards this is when the government started cracking down and ordered martial law <laughs> and <laughs> every witness uh mysteriously died <laughs> yep Car- like all those witnesses that you are who are going to come forward for the prosecution, they all died mysteriously in car wrecks and heart attacks. And ugh, how disappointing! Yep, this general got probation. <laughs> this general uh, got off. <laughs> this general went to jail for six months. <laughs> and then we get a few uh, still shots of the tanks rolling down the street as martial law is implemented, and the freedom of assembly is the, the dissolved. And yeah. And then they, and then we get the title of the movie, which is, you well, know, they talk to about crack down. They, yeah, they talk about everything they ban, and we should, <laughs> we should probably, we should probably should not have saved this for the end of our discussion. <laughs> well, again, like from me, I not knowing anything about this movie going in, you know, I had no idea why it was called Z. <laughs> yeah. But um, they talk about this crackdown on a lot of like communist literature, like any kind of outside non non nationalist ideals. Mm-hmm. And one thing they do ban is Z, which was a a sign that this politician and his ideals are alive. Mm-hmm. And so, in spite of this, you know, very very hopeless downturn we just had, <laughs> um, the what it does end with is like the last thing I was banned was this letter Z, and then the title card comes up. He is alive. Il est vivant. And then the credits actually roll from the bottom down instead of the uh, top down as they normally do because again we're starting backwards yeah so i thought that was a nice little touch yeah um so yeah it's (laughs) again i I wanted to ask what you thought what you thought of the ending (laughs) um because i'm sure i'm sure it it's literally intended to throw throw audiences for a loop it is meant to throw audience for a loop um again i can't help but go back to the fact that this is a very low budget movie and uh they probably couldn't afford to film kind of a larger scale crackdown like literally they used crew members as extras in this movie <laughs> oh well, what do you mean i mean again we just had the most compelling sequence it's i think it again speaks to kind of the banality of evil that it ends so kind of quietly 
Again, we just true, had this yeah. rousing sequence where it looks like justice is served, but then obviously, you know, it just kind of ends with a whimper in that nothing was really resolved. No, absolutely. If anything, it just kind of let things get worse. Yeah. Mm. So I thought that the moment kind of did justice to that. I guess that's true. Yeah, you want to kind of send them out on a high note, but you also don't want to, like, fudge the facts. Mm-hmm. You want to present history as it happened, and this is what happened. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. <sighs> Again, for something so dramatic, though, do you really just want to end it with title cards? <laughs> Well, they're not really title cards. I mean, again, my other favorite touch is it's delivered as a news report from this dogged journalist we've been following. Mm -hmm. And then halfway through, he gets replaced, and they're told that, you know, (laughs) the non-state-run media has also been suppressed. (laughs) That is an excellent, you know, little twist there as well. Yeah. So, I don't know. I like, I I, I have mixed feelings about the reporter. <laughs> you you just didn't like his rat stash, did you? I didn't like his rat stash. Uh, his you know the fact that he's playing reporter and photographer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And um, also surreptitiously, yeah, yeah, t- taking pictures of people without their permission, or or so not so surreptitiously. Because if you can't if you can't see that he's literally pointing the 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 lens straight in your face, and you hear the shutter going off, like I don't know how people just you know, <laughs> well again the audience them. has to know he's taking pictures. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe they did it for the audience sake, but also at one point he pays someone for evidence. Like, yeah, that's excuse what... me, okay, this isn't Roy Moore we're talking about here, okay? <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's the other thing I couldn't quite square because we we identify with the the magistrate because he's on this pursuit of justice. With this reporter, I think initially, like he says, like he just wants a good story. Mm-hmm. Like again, Len, he just wants to sell newspapers, pretty much. Like yeah, he's not really I mean, he's not really in pursuit of the truth. Well, no, but again, that goes back to the whole theme of banality of evil. The prosecutor really isn't trying to go after the government. He's trying to be as impartial as possible. And this reporter really just wants a good story. He's not, like, in it for the liberal estate or anything like that. Mm. So it's just, you know, this is how it happens. (laughs) (laughs) This is how it happens, people. Well, thank Mm -hmm. God what's in the past is in the past. (laughs) Yep. And democracies died in the darkness a long time ago. (laughs) No, John, nothing like this will ever happen again. No, absolutely not. Everything will be fine. I mean, did you see those fake news awards? Oh, boy. <laughs> Were my no, eyes John. opened. No, John, they got they got pushed back again. Oh, okay. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> Who would because, have thought? I mean, this, these are the important things that the office of the president should be doing. <laughs> Who would have thought that Donald Trump would have not held up one of his promises? Okay, right. he promised it on this day, and you're telling me he didn't deliver? I know. He's delivered on everything else. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, so, he's done so well in life. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's amazing that the first thing he would fail at was to keep a promise as a politician, but, you know, <laughs> that just shows how powerful the deep state is. I'm just thankful that this movie showed how bad the deep state could be in terms of orchestrating uh, the, the people that just want to make America great again. <sighs> it's horrible. It's just, it's atrocious. It's terrible. Have you seen this? It's wild. I know. You can see the violent left. <laughs> you see. <laughs> Have you heard about this Antifa? Yeah. <laughs> I've been reading about it on Breitbart. They sound just, like no good next to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's right next to the black crime vertical. Because <laughs> nobody else is courageous enough to, show, to talk about black on black crime. <laughs> nope. They're too PC. <laughs> Alors qu'il était transporté à la sûreté dans une voiture de police, le député Georges Pirou meurt d'une embolie, déclarèrent les policiers. Déporté aux îles. Tombe du septième étage de la sûreté où il était interrogé. A voulu s'évader, déclarèrent les policiers. Trois ans de prison pour avoir détenu et diffusé les documents officiels. Parallèlement, les militaires interdisaient les cheveux longs, les mini-jupes, Sophocle, Tolstoy, Euripide, briser les verres à la russe, faire grève, Aristophane, Ionesco, Sartre, Albi, Pinter, la liberté de la presse, la sociologie, Beckett, Dostoyevsky, la musique moderne, la musique populaire, les mathématiques modernes et la lettre Z qui veut dire il est vivant en grec ancien. Uh, we hope you enjoy our transition to a political podcast. <laughs> We're really after that. Uh, we're sweet... trying to do it so slowly you don't even notice. Exactly. No, I, yeah, and are really we're really after that sweet um, that sweet dosh that Pod Save uh, America, yes. Chapo Trap House, and and a few other podcasts are getting. 
Mm-hmm. However, maybe the tide will turn and we'll be like, you know, this uh, this uh, White House is getting more professional by the minute. Yeah. It's so presidential, it's boring. It's not <laughs> exactly. even worth covering anymore. Yeah. Honestly, I am tired of winning. Yeah. So tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Greg, democracy dies in the darkness. Yeah, so I've heard. So why don't we shine a little something to blow that darkness away? I'm thinking a nice Big, beautiful spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. That was that was good. <laughs> Thank you. See, we're both good at these transition things. Indeed we are. Indeed we are. Yep. Again, the audience is so compelled right now. We've got them in the palm of our hands, John. <laughs> oh, shit. And now that you have this power, what are you going to tell people to watch or seek out this week? Ugh. Guys, have you heard of this thing called Twitter? I love Twitter. Twitter's great. <laughs> It's the best. It's fantastic. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's improving our lives by the second. <laughs> Specifically, I want to recommend to you three Twitter pages that I think you'll get a kick out of. It, it gets labeled under the uh, guise of weird Twitter, I See, guess. These, these I don't understand. John, can you explain these to me? They're apparently little unofficial factions inside the <laughs> Twitterverse. <laughs> no, the, Twitter contains multitudes, Greg. We all know this. <laughs> But what is what is weird Twitter other than just like kind of random gobbledygook? <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of more absurdist humor. It's kind uh, of yeah. yeah. And personally, for me, I love absurdist humor. So mm. for me, like I follow these pages, and they just they give me the the slightest bit of joy. I'll I'll give you the I'll I'll start with the most approachable one, and that is the Twitter page of one world famous actor, Sam Neill. <laughs> okay. You, because you mean um you mean Dr. Grant from Jurassic Park? Yes. And, uh, and a multitude and of movies, other yeah. movies. Hunt for yes. October. Yeah, you recognize mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Is he from New Zealand or Australia? New Zealand. Okay. World famous New Zealand actor, Sam Neill. Mm-hmm. And what he likes to do is pictures of pigs. <laughs> I, I heard about this. <laughs> yes, his Twitter page is almost entirely pig themed. So what he'll do is he'll take these little plastic pigs and he'll place them in funny little scenarios, whether they're on the seaside cliffs or on top of a pumpkin, and he'll just, you know, create little stories around these pigs. And it's just a delight, and it warms your heart. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, John. John, that isn't enough for me, though. I demand more. I mean, okay. picture, pictures of pigs only takes me so far from beloved character actor Sam Neill. <laughs> okay. Um, well, this one's actually movie-related. The next one I have to recommend for you is a Twitter page called uh, Titular Lines. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm fine. I have seen this one, yes. <laughs> so what this person does is he'll take screen caps and then kind of make up a line for where the movie gets its title from. The one yeah, I was... they're like fake, phony title drops that are hysterical. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the one I always uh, think of off the top of my head is, you know, you've got a picture of uh, Alexander Delarge at the milk bar saying, Oyo boyos, time for our orange juice. <laughs> I make sure to have my orange juice at the same time every day because I'm a clockwork orange. <laughs> One of my other favorites is a uh, screen cap from The Secret of Nim, and it's a wise old rat telling the, the younger main character, like, self-care, that's the true secret of Nim. <laughs> and then they and then they have some, like, themed ones for a while. Uh, he did ones that were, like, kind of, like, people mansplaining things. Okay. So when um, uh, The Shape of Water came out, he had one, a screen capture of uh, Michael Shannon explaining to the mute woman of that movie, like, actually, The Shape of Water is whatever container it's in, as it's a liquid. <laughs> I'd always assume that's what it was referring to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's a at say the title, if you're uh, interested. Yes. I, the only one I can recall is... Um... <laughs> It's not just I'm not just any caddy. <laughs> Instead, I want to live up to the legend of Bagger Vance. <laughs> There's also one with uh, uh, Liam Neeson on the phone from Taken. It's mm-hmm. terrible that actresses are taken advantage of when it comes to pay. <laughs> <laughs> Again, topical. See exactly. They're, they're on the pulse. But John, I don't know. I, that's still not enough to fill my Twitter feed. Two things. I mean, come on. Okay. Well, I have another one for you. Okay. And uh, I think I might have missed the boat a little bit on this one, but there is a, mm. a, a c- cartoonist that I follow named Branson Reese. Okay. And for last year, for 2017, he uh, posted a new comic every day. He's uh, kind of let that taper off. That was more of a 365 thing he used to do, but now he's kind of let that slide. But I, I like to go through his history and his comics, and I think they're all highly amusing. Okay. Yep. 
again, absurdist humor, ridiculous walls of texts. Um, but I think they're an utter delight. Uh, I'll add a bonus one right in here. Um, okay, because I was about to say, you didn't finish strong. You didn't really describe it. A good okay, fine. One more. Yeah. One more. Pixelated Boat. Okay. Pixelated Boat actually is quite famous because people keep falling for his fake excerpts for some reason. <laughs> oh, yes. This is also topical. <laughs> yes. So when there's a big book coming out, like uh, Hillary Clinton's What Happened or uh, Fire and Fury, mm-hmm. like he'll usually post like a fake excerpt with like you know a very banal title like, wow, I can't believe this was included in the book. And then you know he came up with that excerpt of you know Donald Trump wanting to watch the Gorilla Channel thinking that, you know, there's a 24-hour run gorilla channel. And yeah. for some people, and for some reason, people keep falling for it. <laughs> like, if it comes from Pixelated Boat, it's not real. He's making a joke. This should well, be evident by now. No, that's when it comes, this is when it becomes a game of telephone. Like, somebody retweets <laughs> it, and then some right-wing idiot or whatever would <laughs> just be like, either that's not true, or, you know, what's what's wrong with the gorilla channel? They're beautiful creatures. <laughs> I love the gorilla channel myself, you know. <laughs> So yes, or again, later some, boat. some I don't know. Uh, again, let's be both sides even-handed. You know, some <laughs> idiot will be like, "Haha, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump loves the uh, Gorilla Channel. Told you he's an idiot." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I can see how, again, the the big game of telephone that is on the internet can you know spiral <laughs> these things out of control. Yes, but pixelated boat. That page is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. As long as you take it with a grain of salt. Unfortunately, yeah. some people have no sense of irony. So nope. Again, just read the Onion too. You know, salt mm-hmm. stuff. Exactly. That was my weak. That was my weak ass sauce <laughs> spotlight for this week. I'll have something better next time. I just, yeah, I know. It's John. You're busy. I'm a busy man. I'm so busy. I know. And you know what? What else can you connect or tie to French movie filmed in Algeria about Greece from a director you've never heard of or seen another film from before? What can you? What can you connect to Z or Z? You know. Exactly. Mark this, fellas. This is the first time Greg has ever given me any credit. So there you go. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> I give you heaps of credit. Loads of credit. <laughs> credit for days. Anyway, John, you remember how a couple weeks ago we goofed um, about seeing Molly's game? Oh, yes. The latest, uh, or sorry, first ever Aaron Sorkin-helmed joint. Mm-hmm. Um, guess what my friends wanted to see the other day? <laughs> wow, you have some great friends. <laughs> they are good friends, all right? <laughs> it was either that or Star Wars again. You know, <laughs> Again, mm-hmm. let's, put the, let's put it out of our minds. Let's see something new. Mm. So and nothing says new like Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> so for anybody who doesn't know, um, if you don't know who Aaron Sorkin is, you know his work. Here, walk <laughs> with me. Okay. Aaron Sorkin is the creator of TV shows like The West Wing, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, The Newsroom. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a very distinctive style that's uh, defined by its verbosity, its uh, sardonic quality, and its sanctimosity. <laughs> He generally lets his uh, his liberal politics, you know, spring forth. Uh, there's a very debate club quality to his writing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's why he attracts either uh, the highest awards or just the lowest derision possible. You know, there's no <laughs> middle ground with Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> or if there is, you know, I I've, I think I found a way to find it um, because the stuff of his that I really do like, like uh, The Social Network, A Few Good Men, and The American President. Those are, have been uh, somewhat chased by, I think, brilliant directors. Um, mm-hmm. In this case, David Fincher and Rob Reiner, respectively. <laughs> so I was really worried what a project that was not only written, but also directed by him would look like. <laughs> and I'm happy to say, not as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> okay, good for, and, good and for actually, him. Yeah, and actually, like, pretty good. Okay. And I think that's because uh, this isn't really like his project or story to tell. Um, one commonality you'll see, in, other than the turn of phrases that he frequently uses, you can see these in, in YouTube supercuts called Sorkinisms, <laughs> <laughs> repeating the same phrases and texts over and over and over again. Oh, he um, just, he has those wells he loves going back to. Yeah. And he's His, dug so many. Yes. <laughs> His worst writing is about men who are either involved in television and desperately, you know, want want to control their narrative and, and desperately want to know what other people think of them and why they're so great. <laughs> And I'm happy to say Molly's Game, which is about uh, a woman named Molly Bloom, who was a former Olympian who then turned into a uh, a underground poker game manager, um, mm. ran afoul of the law and just trying to, like, you know, win her name and reputation back. Like, it's not that kind of story. So 
Mm-hmm. And I think this this movie originally came out of like uh, I think producer Amy Pascal bought the rights and she's like, well, who the hell am I going to get to make this story? Uh, hey, Aaron, you're available, right? <laughs> From leaked Sony emails, you need the money, don't you? Oh, he just loves working for Sony. They just yep. give him the creative freedom he needs. Yes. <laughs> um, to put only only a few mild you know product placements in there. <laughs> But you know it's it's pretty good. It it starts with a Sorkinism, and that's a voiceover voiceover narration of uh, of Molly Bloom, played by Jessica Chastain, going over her resume. Characters love to go over their resumes in Aaron Sorkin projects. <laughs> <laughs> but from there, it's uh, it gets a little more compelling when she needs to look for legal counsel and stumbles on a lawyer played by uh, a high profile lawyer played by Idris Elba. Mm-hmm. And the little volley back and forth they have is 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 pretty good. All right, but at what point does Jessica Chastain's character break down and cry and have a man kind of explain to her <laughs> that things are going to be okay, well, <laughs> or that she has no reason to feel these feelings? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. So okay, <laughs> the that comes kind of at the very end. So all right, we he can't cross... help himself. <laughs> I know. Yeah, spoiler, spoiler alert. So we cross cut between. Um, her building up her her uh, her status as uh, the best underground poker game runner in you know, the country, you know, getting these high status clients and things like that, and also her and we cut back we flash back to her past as an Olympic skier and her uh, her hard driving father played by Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. and. Kevin Costner's literally only two scenes at the very beginning. I felt like you didn't cast Kevin Costner to not come back and have a little reconciliation with <laughs> Jessica Chastain's character. And of course, it's it it's based on an absurd coincidence how they come back together. <laughs> and of course, don't worry. And you know, she's she's hysterical about you know what am I going to do next? You know, you you were too hard on me, Dad. And she's just he says like, you know, woman. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you're letting your you're letting your period get in the way, okay? I, yes. I'm good. Don't worry, Daddy's here to figure it out, which is also a hallmark <laughs> of Aaron Sorkin's work. Yes, those emotional women—they just can't help themselves. Yes, so don't worry, Daddy's here to comfort them and set them straight, and so that's what propels us into the final scene. So, <laughs> I gotta say, rough, really rough takeoff, um, really good middle chunk, and then really rough landing. <laughs> Because also the way that she uh, that she gets absolved of her crimes is also ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> but Greg, what what draws you to Aaron Sorkin in the first place? Well, again, well, again, he's I think he's good at what he does. Like we we talked about this with uh, Max Landis. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, granted, what he could be just a good writer if he just let everything like kind of like outside him, you know, just like again, just if he just stayed off Twitter, he would be like a, a fine writer. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you know if Aaron Sorkin could like play nice with others, and you know just lent his his uh, his his uh, aptitude for quips and and quick dialogue, like just work within a regular story without any sanctimosity, without any you know men setting their women straight. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd be fine. I think you know we could we could give him a we can give him a great A, but instead you know, it's, instead it gets chased by you know just these weird toxic elements. So, wow. So it's the it's the potential John that I'm that I'm drawn to. Okay. Yeah. Every time it could be something interesting, and then yeah. <laughs> nope, it goes back to those same old wells. Yep. So Ugh. I mean that, and that's not to say that Molly's game is is bad in any way. I mean it's not it's not exceptional. I mean you don't have to rush out to the theaters to see it, but you know mm-hmm. it'll yeah, be a good, good red box rental, I'm sure. Yeah. Again, good good game, good effort. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good G-G. game, guys. Good game. G-G, Molly's yeah. game. It's it's that brilliant connection. It, it's probably because I'm jealous, John. You know, I wish I, I reached the career heights that Aaron Sorkin has as a writer. Oh, there you go. There's there's your downfall. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Jealousy, which is also a, a quality that comes up a lot in Aaron Sorkin's work. <laughs> Again, write what you know. That's what's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember that, guys. And, John, you know what I know? What's that? That the human head weighs eight pounds. But I also oh. know <laughs> that we have a Twitter feed that you should follow. Was that like a Jerry Maguire reference? What was that? I, yes, it was. I, okay. I, I, again, I wanted to get straight into social media, but I thought, what's a random fact of trivia I can pull out here? To make That's it, the to best one you could joke. come up with? I, okay, John, quick uh, trivia, on the go. Now. Uh, 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 the big one's the sun. Uh. <laughs> Wait, you mean that, that round object you see at night? That one? Yeah, the one you think is a god? Turns out that's just a big ball of gas. Okay. <laughs> But, I mean, what makes it turn around us, John? I don't understand. You know, there's just some things. Like, there's a chariot, I think. And, you know, they pull the chariot across. That's got to be it, right? Yeah. I, I, that's the only explanation I can think of. 
Man, we've got off the rails. Hey, yes. we have a Twitter feed and a, and a Facebook page that you should like. If you want to see some weird Twitter, then <laughs> you need to follow Aspiring Snobs. Yeah. Hey, everybody, ate, uh, ate roasted potatoes today, um, but this wasn't a very good tweet. Um, banana. <laughs> <laughs> Is that weird Twitter? It's something, that's, what it's, that's what it's like in my mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? You're not far off. Okay. <laughs> but then, once you're done, once you've done that, you can always go to Facebook and like our Facebook page, where we're not weird at all. No. Where things are very straightforward on Facebook. Absolutely. We're like your mm-hmm. parents on Facebook, you know. Oh, just yeah. Fill your feed that you can ignore. I mean, <laughs> yeah, just sharing Actually, stuff. what am I saying? Don't ignore it. Give, it. give it a like, you know. Yeah, we're just sharing stuff from Russian bots, you know, straightforward stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, if you're feeling cagey, why don't you go to Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. or Stitcher or your podcast service of choice and give us... we're on every single one. And give us a rating... And subscribe, and that'll help people find us, and you'll be able to help us build this community of aspiring stops together. Yes, doing it together. Yep. One nation under snobs. <laughs> <laughs> Indeblibable. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to come up with something there, and I couldn't. Oh, well. <laughs> I, it's fine. It's fine. John, one thing you don't have to come up with is the movie we're going to watch next week. Next week, we'll be revisiting. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Again, Again this is a politics podcast. nothing. <laughs> this is a politics podcast now. Come on, yeah, guys. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Get on board or ship out. All right? Like, go back to the shithole you came from, okay? Because <laughs> we don't want you here. John, show some decorum, okay? Because <laughs> that's the issue here is decorum. Why what, do I need to? Whatever happened if it, to etiquette, you know? No, if it doesn't, if it, if it doesn't fit the uh, White House or the Oval Office anymore, then why should I? Hmm? Okay. Yeah, All right. He's changing norms. Okay. I, exactly. For the for the be- for the better, I say. <laughs> Down with the establishment, unless mm-hmm. it's about mass surveillance, then it's important. Mm-hmm. Oh, now we're getting really into the weeds. Uh, indeed, we are. Well, now yep. we're now we're woke. Now we're we're news junkies. Thanks. To, we're uh, so woke. The big yellow, the big orange ape in the White <laughs> House. So, <laughs> did I say ape? I meant alpha male. <laughs> No, John. Let's 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 be hopeful. Okay. okay. Again, we're gonna be back next week. Thank you. But until then, thank you everybody for listening. Or until the title cards come up and they realize that you know free speech has been abolished. I sure. Mon dieu. <laughs> Mon dieu. Sock me bleu. <laughs> and until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs>